How would you handle being jailed for doing what is right? Our text this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that your spirit would come in power, would show us your word, would open our eyes and open our hearts to it, that we might hear it, that we might do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I came home with some bad news. Sorry, we have to move yet again. Our first 10 years in Southern California with its crazy high real estate market was a long series of moves from house to house. We'd get settled into a rental house, and then the owner would want to sell, and so it'd be time to find another house and repeat the process every year or two. This morning we'll see the Apostle Paul moving houses as we see in the book of Acts, house to house. And as we look at house to house, we'll see the Apostle Paul go from the big house to the warden's house. So first of all, let's take a look at the big house. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin there in verse 16. Acts 16, 16. And it says there in verse 16, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now we're picking up where we left off last week. Remember the Apostle Paul is brought to the city of Philippi by the movement of the Spirit being prevented from going into Asia. He goes to the place of prayer down there by the river where there's some God-fearing Gentile women there. He preaches to them, and we see that the household of Lydia is saved, and they get baptized, and they ask him to stay in Philippi and teach them further, and so he did. Now, in the midst of this, he's apparently going down to that same place, gathering the same group of people, maybe more people coming. But now we've got a girl here. She's got a demon in her. She tells fortunes, and she's crying out that which is true, but it's coming from the wrong place, and it's coming in the wrong way. You see, friends, following the devil can result in earthly gain. We have a slave girl here possessed with a demon, and she makes a lot of money for her owners. The devil loves to sow disorder and to glam onto God's movements. You can see this here. God's moving in the city of Philippi, and we see that suddenly the devil, or demon rather, shows up. This always happens. Whenever God begins to move, the devil begins to move as well. And probably the greatest revival in the history of our country, the Second Great Awakening, we saw that many churches were restored, many people were saved, the church was reinvigorated, but at the tail end of that, the major cults in our country all came forth of this move of the Spirit at its end. The Jehovah's Witnesses arose out of the Second Great Awakening. Mormonism came forth from the Great Awakening. And we see that the mind science cults also all came out of the Second Great Awakening. So be prepared. When God begins to move, watch for the devil to come as well. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now the apostle Paul, you'll notice here, was very patient. I'm sure he understood that this girl here was likely a slave girl and was receiving compensation for her owners. And so he was very patient with this, but it comes to an end. Friends, you'll notice here that the name of Jesus is very powerful. 
And I'm going to step up on one of my silk boxes again here. Jesus gives you his name. Use it. In the Old Testament, the name that God gives to his people is Yahweh. He says, when you're in trouble, call upon my name. Over and over again, we see that theme in the Psalms. I called upon the name of Yahweh, and then he heard me, and he came and delivered me. When the new covenant comes, the new name given is not so new. It's Yahoshua. Yahweh saves. Jesus gives you his royal name. He says, use it. Use it in prayer. So often I see Christians at various functions, and they'll pray, and then at the end they just say, Amen. Jesus gave you his powerful royal name, so pray in the name of Jesus. Use the name of our king, King Jesus. And the demon leaves at the command of Jesus, and the girl held in bondage is set free. The girl held in bondage is set free at the name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now notice Paul delivered a girl from demonic possession. He's minding his own business and this girl comes and disturbs that business. And so in the name of Jesus, he casts out this demon Friends, I want to say this. While you're minding your own business, trouble will find you. While you're minding your own business, trouble will find you. The Apostle Paul also said, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're following after Christ, minding your own business, trouble will eventually find you. So I say, bring it. So often Christians at a time like ours are afraid of the culture. They're afraid to speak out about Jesus. They're afraid to point out and say, this thing is wrong and is against the word of God. They're worried that they're gonna get doxxed and the mob's going to come after them. But if you're following after Jesus, if you're trying to do what's right, even in your own home, people will talk to your kids and find out you read the Bible to them, they're still going to call you a bigot. They still may come after you. While you're minding your own business, trouble will find you. And it came for Paul, caught in the middle, persecuted by the Jews, and now persecuted by the Gentile Romans, hated by all. He takes his place in the position that Jesus said would happen. He said, blessed are you, right, when people revile you in my namesake? He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. When you find trouble, you are blessed when you're standing in the name of Christ. Verse 22. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. There's a lot going on there. Think about this for a minute. The guy goes out to evangelize a group of people. He just wants to speak the word of God. He wants to invite people to come into the kingdom. He wants to see people get baptized. And this girl with the demon shows up and starts screaming. She's saying what's right and true, but I get the impression she's also screaming out while Paul's trying to teach. And so in the name of Jesus, he casts out this demon that's coming and bothering him in his own business. And what happens? The owners get mad. They stir up the crowd. A big crowd comes down and starts tearing at them and beating them and ripping their clothes off. 
And then they're beaten with rods and they're put in prison down in the deepest, darkest parts of the big house. They're in stocks. No good deed goes unpunished. Free speech wasn't a thing in the Roman Empire. And friends, I want to say this. Free speech has never really been a thing in the entire world's history. Free speech is probably not a thing in most countries in the world today. And free speech increasingly is not a thing even in the West. But does that stop the people of God from living their lives according to the Word of God? Should that stop the people of God from opening their mouths and speaking the truth? No, it shouldn't. So free speech wasn't a thing in the Roman Empire, particularly exorcism speech. Deprived of justice, we learn that the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen later. He's beaten and thrown deep into the big house. They're locked up way down in the dark reaches of the big house. Locked in stocks, trapped. Imagine the scene. It's not like our prisons today where they have electrical lights. It's probably dark down in there, maybe a flickering torch. There's vermin all over the place. Rats and cockroaches are crawling across your feet. They're down in the big house and they're trapped. Has God forgotten them? What would you do? Would you begin to blame God? Would you ask God, why, why, why am I here, Lord? Let's see what happens to Paul and Silas. One time I went to the big house in downtown Los Angeles, the Twin Towers Jail, to meet a friend's son who suffered from schizophrenia and had been jailed on an assault charge. I checked in and went up the set of elevators to the floor where he was housed. I looked down the line of booths, and they're those booths that have the big, thick glass on them and have the microphone. And I saw only one man sitting there, so I went over and said hi, engaged in some small talk and religious conversation. After a half an hour, we both realized we were talking to the wrong persons. The man I was coming to meet was from St. Louis, and this fellow was a murderer from Pasadena. I was in the wrong place at the big house. Ironically, as we'll see, Paul wasn't in the wrong place in the big house. He was exactly where God wanted him to be. So we've seen the big house. Now let's see the warden's house. Let's continue on here in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Paul and Silas locked in stocks, probably the deep, deepest, darkest part of the dungeon, bruised and bloody. What would you do? What would you do in a situation like that? Would you begin to complain to the Lord? Would you begin whimpering, saying, why me, why me? But notice what Paul and Silas did. They sang and they prayed. I think actually they're probably singing some form of psalms. That would have been the common practice of Jews in the first century. I think they're down there praying psalms as well. That was also the common practice of Jews in the first century. They're singing, they're praying, and as they're singing and praying in the midst of these trials and circumstances, the prisoners, the prisoners were listening. In fact, they were listening this way. The Greek verb there is epakraomai. It means they were listening intently. Paul and Silas are singing and praying. I bet the people were asking them questions. I'm sure they were answering their questions. I'm sure they were singing and praying in such a manner that would evangelize those who were listening and lifting up King Jesus before their eyes. And then an earthquake happened. 
and everyone was set free. Notice that. The doors fling open and it says all the stocks came off. How did that happen? These people weren't just tied up with rope. They were probably tied up with various forms of locked chains. But the chains come off. The doors spring wide open. Down in the death-like dungeon, which is like a tomb, an earthquake happens, and the prisoners are set free. Sound familiar? When Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake. When Jesus rose from the dead from the tomb, there was an earthquake. We're told in the Gospel of Matthew, the earth shook. The rocks split and the tombs burst open and people who had died when Jesus rose from the dead came forth from the dead from the tomb. And here it is happening again. An earthquake at the big house and the doors fling open. The chains come off. Everyone's set free. The tomb is open wide. Going on to verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. This would have brought great shame onto his household. He had a job to do, that warden did, and that's to keep those prisoners in the prison. To ensure that they were safely locked up and locked behind the doors of the prison deep into the dungeon. But an earthquake's happened and everybody's set free. What to do, what to do. He's going to kill himself. It's like seppuku. In Japan, in the medieval period, they had a, a means of assuaging guilt, and that was to take out a small sword or a knife, plunge it into your belly, rip yourself open, and kill yourself. Seppuku is still committed even today by businessmen who've been shamed. They will do the same thing. And here we've got this warden. A loss of prisoners is serious business in the ancient Roman world for jailers. In fact, we got an example of this back in Acts chapter 12, verse 19. When the apostle Peter was set free by the angel, this happened. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. I imagine that the jailer is thinking, it's probably better if I kill myself now. Maybe they'll spare my family from shame or punishment. He's about to fall on the sword. And Paul cries out, do not harm yourself. We're all still here. Death and resurrection is everywhere in the big house. There's death and now resurrection for the prisoners. There's death and now resurrection for Paul and Silas. There's death and now resurrection, even for the prison warden, going on to verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The tables are totally turned as the Roman authority now bows before the emissaries of King Jesus. The jailer himself, I would imagine, must have heard some of the words of Paul and Silas. Here was a likely pagan man. How would he have known anything about this? The God-fearers were this little sect of women that met down by the river in Philippi. So how does he know to cry out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice there's no altar call here. There's no official call out for prayers for salvation. There's none of this, close your eyes and put your heads down. I see that hand back there. There's no come on up to the front if you want to receive salvation. In fact, I want to say this, friends. There's no place in the New Testament where anybody anywhere prays for salvation. 
Our sacrament, our modern evangelical sacrament of altar calls comes completely from outside the Bible and from our own minds. What happens in the Bible? The Word of God comes, and the Spirit accompanies it in power and opens people's hearts. The Word of God is preached, and people are cut to the quick, and they cry out to the preacher, What do I need to do to be saved? We see that happening here in the big house. But we also see that happening in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The people of God have had the Spirit poured upon them. They're speaking in tongues. And Peter gets up and he begins to preach to the crowd. He tells them how they've been responsible for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they should have known he was Messiah. And the crowd cries out unprompted to them. Sirs, what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Going on to verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Believe and you will be saved are the words of the Apostle Paul. You and your household. And here once again we see a household salvation. Once again, we see a household baptism. And once again, I say to you, God loves to save families. God loves to save groups of people. We saw earlier with Cornelius and his household believing and being baptized. And then last week, we saw Lydia and her household believing and being baptized. And now here we have the prison warden in Philippi and his household believing and being baptized. And they want further teaching. The warden becomes a caregiver. The warden, who is the one who is watching over the torture and mistreatment of Paul and Silas, now becomes a caregiver, and they were all baptized. And friends, notice this. No tongues. Isn't that interesting? Why? Well, tongues are a sign for those who are uncertain and don't believe. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, tongues came because you got a bunch of Jews who are wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? We don't think so. And then you've got these people that come out and begin preaching the word of God in all these known languages of all these Jews who've come into town. It's a sign to them that the spirit is moving upon them and verifying that Jesus is the Messiah. And then when you've got the household of Cornelius, something new is happening. The gospel is breaking out with the Gentiles. Could it be? Is it possible? And then the spirit's poured out in the same way as Pentecost, but not here. Why? There's no one to be convinced. Paul and Silas went on purpose to the Gentiles to bring the good news. They were expecting the good news to break out amongst the Gentiles. And so we don't need a sign here beyond the fact that these people are saved. Of course, there was also an earthquake. Going on to verse 34. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. In one short evening, Paul has gone from the big house to the warden's house where they eat and rejoice. And so I want to say to you, friends, can you think of a more hopeless circumstance than this? Imagine if you told the Apostle Paul, guess what, there's going to be an earthquake tonight, you get set free. He'd be like, what? He goes out, minds his own business, he gets a beat down, he gets his clothing torn, he gets beaten with rods, he gets thrown into a prison, he gets locked down in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon. It was a hopeless situation. What to do? But God turns it all around. So I want to say to you this morning, some of you young people, you're going to go off to college soon. And if you stand firm in the faith, people are going to make fun of you. They're going to mock you. 
Some of your professors might look at you and say, oh, you're just a Cro-Magnum caveman to believe that stuff. Maybe you might even get in trouble. Maybe you put a Bible verse on the inside of your door and your roommate doesn't like it and you get brought up on charges and they want to kick you out of school. Maybe you're at work someplace and you got a bunch of new regulations that are causing you to actually not be able to express your faith even privately. They want to have speech codes on you. They're coming after you. Maybe we'll have national persecution and the words that are being said against Christians now become actions. What to do? Rejoice in hope, friends. Rejoice in hope. Fear not and keep the faith. And never, never underestimate the power of God to deliver and to turn defeat into victory. He did it with the Lord Jesus Christ. He does it with the apostles. God likes to deliver his people. God likes to turn the narrative upside down. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. The big house at Alcatraz was a grim place. A prison for the worst of the worst. But the warden's house was a three-floor, 15-room mansion that often hosted posh cocktail parties and rooms with fantastic views of the San Francisco Bay. Paul went from house to house, from the big house to the warden's house in a single day because God is in absolute, total, complete, and perfect control. This morning we've seen Paul move from the big house to the warden's house as we looked at house to house. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray.